Welcome to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Here, you will find discussion on all things EMDR from MDR-approved trainers and consultants, as well as some co-hosts. EMDR is an approach to the entire therapeutic journey, not just reprocessing trauma. This podcast will feature discussion on the therapeutic relationship, understanding and using the original eight-phase protocol, and what to do to bring deeper understanding to the why behind EMDR and what to do when you're stuck. This podcast is an invitation to connect and learn together about EMDR and the process of psychotherapy. We are glad that you're here. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We are all connected here virtually today on Zoom. So the setup probably looks a little bit different than what you've been seeing lately, but this allows us to be literally on all different parts of the country, (laughs) um, still able to bring this interview to our episode today. So we are sitting on Zoom here with Bridger is on here, myself and Dr. Michelle Morsey who you have met before, if you've listened to some of the older episodes, I would say it was uh, early last season or even possibly the season before that, just a little over a year ago, Dr. Morsi joined us to talk about EMDR and traumatic brain injury. So we're so excited to have her back as she is in a big wave of lots of trainings and consulting and writing. She has a new book out that she's going to share a little bit about um, some content with us on interweaves and EMDR. So welcome, Dr. Morsi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me back. I really appreciate it. Yes, we're excited for you to share. Um, I guess we'll do kind of a, a review from the last time you were here of what you do, what you focus on, what your passions are in EMDR. Um, and then we'll get into the specifics of our topic today with interweaves. Okay. Uh, passion, anything EMDR related. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I worked from uh, infancy to basically cradle to grave. um, Babies who had a difficult birth, um, can't sleep through the night, anything like that, all the way through uh, PTSD. I work a lot with first responders, brain injuries, depression, anxiety. so that, that's basically what I'm passionate about, reading and advancing as much as I can so EMDR can be free-forming and grow as much as it, as it can because it's all neurological and in the brain anyway, so. Ah, I love that. Yeah. So you're a researcher, an author, trainer, consultant, so many things. <laughs> you do all of it. Yes. Um, yeah, so you stay very busy with everything, I'm sure. Yes, I do. Yeah. Got to plan the downtime, which is usually in the winter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm curious just with, with that span of population work that, that you do, um, how that has kind of led you to really you know, become so passionate about interweaves. Um, if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, as marriage and family therapists, we do everything from cradle to grave. And then my initial work before, like pre-licensed work was in community mental health in rural areas. So they don't have anybody else to go to and you're it, 
right? So it was a matter of reading every book I could get a hold of, going to as many trainings as I could, learning as much as I could. And when you're forced to treat a population or a situation you don't have experience with, you just kind of jump in and learn to swim and you figure out along the way, oh, I guess if I asked this here, or if I had known that there, right, how can I utilize this? And the more I saw that it regulated clients and kept them safe, rather than dysregulating, the more I saw how important interweaves were in EMDR period, not just waiting until they get stuck, but like right there, maybe in that third set, right? Because you how what are you noticing? Oh, I'm very overwhelmed. All right, right then, interject and interweave, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to take a moment and kind of capture again what you're saying here, because I feel like this is a a shift to what a lot of new trainees are being exposed to. Even as a trainer, as a basic trainer in the curriculum we're using, there's an emphasis on as we start, you're supposed to only use the phrases, go with that, notice that, what'd you get, what'd you notice? Those are your options. And anything outside of that is considered a cognitive interweave of some sort. And we're supposed to limit those as much as possible and allow the natural processing to happen. But what I hear you saying that I'm really excited to hear, you know, someone with such strong background actually capturing for us is that we don't need to wait until the system's already stuck. We need to be kind of keeping up and joining them in that process. And it can be so much more of a connected experience and a joint experience when we're able to appropriately utilize interweaves along the way from the very get-go. Yes. So I've had clients anywhere from like uh, officer-involved shootings to domestic violence saying like, it felt like you were walking through this event with me, which led me Mm -hmm. to thinking of a metaphor of you're going into a stranger's house or a friend's house. So you don't know where everything is at and the lights are out and you're walking, you're stumbling in, you're hitting your shins. Every turn you make somebody, something could be jumping out at you. It's totally Mm -hmm. scary. So as the therapist, you are walking beside them and the interweave is the flashlight shining light around them. So yes. So they feel safe. They can manage that difficulty of being in like a haunted house. Yeah. And know that they can get through it without crapping their pants because right. Yeah. Yes. That is such a, to me, such a refreshing perspective on interweaves and it completely, it kind of makes obvious how, how holistic our approach to interweaves must be, how we can't just relegate it to what we as the therapist think the, the patient or the client needs in this moment, but we're still embodying that curiosity of, I don't know either really where it is, but we're here together. And this flashlight can be used in so many different ways. I love that metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. It it changes it from being, I'm not sending you off alone to do this. And I'm also not guiding you through it. I'm partnering with you. And I love, as you're describing, just feeling your emotion come in, like brings up emotion. We have like this, like arm in arm, like let's go through this really scary place together haunted house really like when you said those words I'm like that is what our trauma it feels like is a haunted house of ghosts popping out 
like let's go through arm in arm and feel safer and stronger together as we do it. Mm-hmm. I feel like that um, is the best summary of what can make EMDR such a relational therapeutic process when without it can feel quite clinical, sterile, detached. Um, But with this piece, bringing that in can make it truly a relational dynamic where it's, it's bringing in all of the best parts of talk therapy, but with the power of something like EMDR and we're merging those two, like we're finding that middle ground. Yeah. And it is very empowering for the clients knowing that they can navigate that scary house, knowing you're right there. Um, So some therapists feel the need to heal or treat or fix, right? Mm -hmm. And this isn't about it. It's the client's journey, right? And that's what empowers the client. So at the end of therapy, they feel confident on their own two legs, not, oh my gosh, I need you beside me still. Yeah. Yes. We, we talk a lot about strategies is kind of a, anyone who's listening to the podcast now has heard us say those, that phrase over and over again, but um, our nervous system finding these adaptations to survive life, right? When we didn't have what we needed, or we weren't equipped to get our needs met, we developed some form of adaptation to protect us or get our needs met. And I so often see those strategies show up and get projected onto the therapeutic process and the therapeutic relationship when it's a um, kind of me doing to you kind of experience, like I'm doing EMDR to you, it activates their strategies. There's the need to say, I feel unsafe or I feel um, unseen. And so I'm gonna need that people-pleasing strategy. I'm gonna need to tell you, oh yeah, yeah, suddenly my disturbance is cleared or, I'm going to need the strategy of shutdown. No, I don't notice anything. I don't, what do you mean notice? I don't see anything coming to mind compared to a relational connection. There's less of a need for strategy because we have that partnered experience and it's not a me doing to you. It's let's join in this together and experiences together. There's not as much of a need for a strategy. I don't get as much of that false zero where they're telling you the disturbance is gone when it clearly isn't or the shutdown or, you know, it it feels safer to open up and really experience it. Yes. Yeah. Way, Dr. Marcy, that you're describing these ideas, it it reminds me a lot of resourcing. And that's something that that Jen and I specifically talk a lot about. um, And especially with people that are wondering why people get stuck and how the relationship between interweaves and resourcing can be uh, so beautifully complementary, um, but it really sounds like interweaves in your mind and heart are very close to how people typically think of resourcing. Would you say that's that's true? Yeah. Um, so somebody who has attachment issues, right? Resourcing like is preparation for EMDR, but in the moment, you are connecting to that child ego state that didn't have anybody protect them, who do you need here to feel safer walking through this with you? What do you need to say in this moment? Or what was it in general, right? And yeah, you're taking, if they don't have it, I loan them a resource, right? <laughs> I give love that. Grandma, yeah. Give them your aunt or uncle, you know, give them that strong woman or male influence that they didn't have and bridge the gaps 
again, filling in the gaps that they didn't have, like stepping stones. Their uh, foundation had cracks or missing pieces, and those resources will fill it in so they can navigate through the rest of the trauma safely. Yeah, that's so great. You know, um, we were talking a little bit in preparation of this interview about all of the different types of interweaves that you have kind of categorized and you speak about and teach about. And that's another thing where we talk a lot about its cognitive interweaves, but our emphasis being on a bottom up approach to therapy says that's just one type of interweave. Maybe we need to, you know, help shift cognition. And, and sometimes we're doing that in talk therapy or CBT type of work, but what are all of the other types of interweaves that you've been able to identify and start to define in your material? imaginal interweaves. So for a lot of the attachment stuff, imagine that um, ideal parent, imagine the ideal situation, what would that have felt like? So I'm not normally that touchy feely therapist and feeling feel for me is uh, somatic. What are the sensations in the body and emotions are the things that we emote, sad, anger, guilt, jealousy, right? So I make that delineation between feeling and emotions and ask them, what does that feel like if you have that ideal person with you or you go through that? Um, there's um, auditory interweaves. There's um, olfactory interweaves. Um, what else have I used? Uh, somatic interweaves. So I don't know if you guys know about Louise Hay and the body can heal, your body mm. can heal, right? So kind of a play on that is I look at our, the function of our body part and what does that part need? So mm. I, I, all right, so if we're looking at the neck and someone says, I don't know what's going on, but after that last set, I've got a real pain in the neck. Well, looking at the neck, it holds up our head and it helps us turn our head. Right. Mm -hmm. So then I would ask them, do you feel unsupported or is there something over here you're not wanting to see? And then I just have them notice and then they go, oh, my God. <laughs> and they tell you what came up for them. Right. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I'm wondering and I can imagine our listeners thinking about what does that actually look like in, in the session? you know, you're, you're, so you're starting with a, a target and you're doing your assessment and you're beginning now to enter into that uh, actual reprocessing. And how soon do you do an interweave? Like, what do you look for uh, in kind of identifying where an interweave might be kind of necessary? And then how do you identify the type of interweave uh, that you're, you're going for? So it really depends on the client and every client's different. So if I'm starting, um, a uh, single incident trauma is like, I've got a couple of um, young people who've had brain injuries from car accidents. It's the only trauma in their life. So we jump in on a small part of it, right? And you can tell they're breathing, they're feeling a little distressed. All right, so what do you need right now? Do we need to push this further away? Do you need to see it, this perspective from an onlooker across the street? right? Would you need somebody in the car with you that makes you feel safe, right? So you're looking at it, trying to figure out in the moment based on their presentation, what they might need and asking. And the biggest thing to demystify and interweave, if you ask a wrong question, what's the worst that's going to happen? 
the client says, no, that, that doesn't fit. It's like, okay. Yes. <laughs> the worst. Yes. That is such a different perspective than even how I was trained of thinking about you go to that page in your manual. <laughs> you start thinking <laughs> through, you know, oh, maybe let's try this one um, where it's very therapist led in which interweave you would then implement. What it sounds like you're saying is that that's a co-created or co-discovered process that yeah. their system will tell you the interweave that's needed. And it's not on you to have this magical wand to know which interweave is right. You can exactly. actually just discover it together. Which really alleviates a lot of pressure on the therapist to feel that they have to come up with the ideal interweave. There's no such thing as the ideal interweave. Oh, there is the so best good. question that you can ask and if it doesn't work, ask them what they need or go back to the book and figure yeah. something else out, right? Yeah. I find myself so often in session saying something like, I don't know why, but it's coming into my mind or what's coming up for me is this, because I know that's what my brain is processing as I'm imagining what they're going through or what I'm curious about or what feels like what I would need in that place. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I'm seeing this image of this or my, my intuition's telling me to say this thing. How, what does that bring up for you? How does that connect for you? Sometimes it's a complete miss and it's like, no, that's not at all where we were at and that's okay. Um, but that was just me sharing my experience. And sometimes it's this deep, like we're deeply resonating on a energy level when I say, I don't know why, but I feel this thing. And they're like, oh man, I didn't have those words, but that's exactly where I'm at too. And we can continue processing there. Intuition is extremely important in figuring this out and doing the therapy it is. So thank you for bringing that up. Cause that was a point I really wanted to bring up was your intuition and figuring it out or deconstructing in your head. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, if I was this kid, what would I need in that moment? So yes. Yeah. I'm so, I'm wondering, intuition has been something that at beyond we talk so much about with the people that we do consultation and training with, because in even our professional training back in graduate school, it's like intuition is, I mean, it depends on where you were, where you were educated, but so yes. often it's not valued at all. It's, it have it's, a place in the session. it's compartmentalized <laughs> out of the session, in fact. So yeah. what has it been like for you to work with people really, you know, kind of answering the question of which interweave to use by saying it's in the space between you, it's in the intuition that you're noticing uh, within your own body and within their body. Um, you know, what has it been like to encourage people to use their intuition to find an interweave? Um, a struggle at first for people who have traumatic backgrounds as well. There's a lot of therapists with their own trauma. And as we see with our clients, they start to disconnect from their body and the somatic sensations, or they've been like a cl enough clients have been abused physically or sexually where they shut off the body. And they can't trust what they feel, or they've been told they can't trust what they see or what they know to be true. And so it's a very gentle process of helping them to realize you can trust it. What are you noticing in your body right now? I don't know. I'm just, and then you give them a, give them time. I'm feeling this heat in my stomach. And if they don't know, ask them, it could be a pain somewhere. It could be an increase in temperature. It could be and you give them ideas and they go, well, you know, since you've been saying that I've been noticing this like blah in my stomach. Okay. 
I want you to notice that. And then you go from there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the, you know, that, that struggle of inviting therapist to be present. And again, that's that shift of dynamic. If it's not me doing this to you, it's not this, you know, process and I'm just the lead of it. I'm actually a part of it. And if my intuition as the clinician matters, I too have to be present in that session and noticing what is my felt experience as you bring this up or what would I need if I was in that position? And that's a, a much more vulnerable and personal space to go into with our clients. But I think if we are capable of showing up in that way, that's a very different felt experience of working on a trauma for the client's sake than working on it with someone who is detached from, you know, their body in the moment or from the space and is just following a protocol and reading a script to you. Yeah. Um, And it's no different. So I have some clients who They either don't have the technology to have a camera work or it glitches with the internet. So turn the camera off or people with uh, body dysmorphia who don't like how they look Mm -hmm. and they shut the camera off. So as therapists, we are doing EMDR blind. I can't see you. I can't see the facial expressions. I can't see your breathing. So now I'm relying on you to cue me into what your body is doing. And virtual therapy as well, the clients and I tell them, you have to let me know I'm not there, I cannot see you. So if your leg is jittering in between each set, let me know, right? Mm -hmm. If you're sitting there and you're doing this with your hands and you're wringing them together, let me know there's something going on there, right? Yeah, I love in that as well. You're building the resource between the two of you that this relationship is the kind of center of this, you know, even by you cueing to them that you're inviting that type of experience to come into the session, that's a level of attunement that they may have never had. Like, oh, you're telling Mm -hmm. me that my leg jittering matters. You're telling me that my wringing my hands together matters. That's where for me, when I'm in consultation, I really try and sort of broaden or nuance uh, these kind of really small pieces that seems on the surface that really when you're working with an interweave, you're also resourcing. You're also kind of establishing a felt sense of safety when you're doing reprocessing, you're, you're really engaging this dynamic system. Now it's not this like step one. Okay. Then we leave it. And we're now in step two. Then we leave that. And we're in step three, like this whole thing becomes its own organism in so many different ways. Yes. Um, Cause otherwise separating it, it's no different than having a medical doctor who is looking at the body and a psychiatrist who's looking at the head and a podiatrist who's looking at the foot and they all come up with three different ways of treatment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 To figure out that this person really just fell over. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, prior to this, if you had told me to do a session with no video virtual EMDR, that would have been my worst nightmare with a client. Like, like oh, that's horrible. I can't see everything. But the way you just described it, it almost like, it's intriguing to me of how it would almost force a built awareness for the client. If you're saying like, you have to be my eyes for me, mm-hmm. it does shift into this. They have to become aware of their own body in a way that they wouldn't have if I had been there being aware of it for them. Um, 
And I I still think it would be incredibly challenging, but I feel like it could be a neat exercise or an experience with clients to do that, where it's, you're going to report for me what is happening in your body, because I can't see it be responsive to that, especially for those clients who are very dissociated from their own body to kind of work into building that awareness and connection again. Yeah. Jen, you saying that Dr. Morrissey, I was thinking uh, as you were talking as well, I have a client that I've done, um, work with for about two years um, now and because of their own uh, kind of fear of being seen at all you know when I first met them they were completely agoraphobic wouldn't leave the house had a world built around them to support that like a virtual job that they only had to correspond via email or text or something like that and so any correspondence that would become more human than just a profile on a screen was like the worst fear ever and so when we started doing work, it was all on the phone. And how I began to work with that was getting, you know, over ear headphones for myself. And most of the phone call, I would have my eyes closed, visualizing what it's like for them, uh, like actually seeing them in my mind. And as I would invite the process, you know, turn on the bilateral or whatever, they started tapping. I'm imagining as much as I can in myself what it actually would look like to be in the room with them. So it's, it, it really felt like I was having to exercise my attunement muscle in my imagination so much to just be there with them as if I was actually in person with them, even though my eyes were closed and I could only hear their voice and their breathing and what they would report to me. So there's a wonderful um, documentary on Third Sight and I found it on Amazon and they blindfold people and they have someone else go to different locations. Um, And they found that like, if you start this as children, they can actually read a book with blindfolds on thick blindfolds that no one can see through. Right. So, and I do the same thing, Bridger, when I'm with the client up, I take a second, I close my eyes and it's almost as if I can see what they're going through. Right. And then I kind of have an idea of where they're headed, where they might be headed, how to divert a, um, a piece of the road that's out. Right. Do I use an interweave, whatever? And right. that was so amazing that I think that's exactly what we're doing is we are tuning in to our third site. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Connecting to the clients and yeah. figuring yeah. out what they need in the moment. And that is the next level EMDR. I love that. The next level MDR. Can you say more about what you mean by that? Well, and I just, I've been watching the next level chef with Gordon Ramsay. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like the words are perfect because this is the next level. This is the 21st century way to move EMDR forward, more somatic, more in tunement, more all of this. It's bringing this up to another level. And we need yeah. to let our grow and not contain it. Cause if we contain it, it will die. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Jen, I know you want to jump in. I just have one more point on that. So, you know, looking at the neurobiology side of things, um, when we're exercising, even as clinicians, our, I like, I love this phrase. I think it's so simple. The third site, as you're saying it, um, we're really tapping into our neocortical mentalization functions, which mentalization is such a major component, not only to uh, therapy, but also to just like uh, healthy human development. 
when we can mentalize effectively, we can know what's going on inside ourselves. We can imagine what's going on inside the other and then how those two can come together to create what we're all looking for, which is flourishing adaptive growth that's co-regulated. So yeah. while we're tapping into this, this um, uh, did you next level EMDR? That's what you said. When you're tapping into this next level EMDR, that's really what just neurobiologically we're aligning with the reason it feels so good and it works so well is because it's an organic human process that is at the top tier of human functioning. When we can do that well, all cylinders are firing, all systems are connected and integrated, linked and differentiated, as Dan Siegel says. And that really is the marker of a healthy mind. Like I, I think that mentalization-based EMDR, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's when we probably actually hit the gamma brain waves. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. So our subconscious is the operating system. If we looked at us as computers, five months gestation to six years of age, we are in Delta and theta brain waves. That is our operating system, yes. right? Those deep seated core beliefs. And we can only get to those bottom up, right? Oh so the yeah. people who have <laughs> issues going back to childhood, imagine what that little 18 month old felt scared on the operating table, right? Yep. You're closing your eyes and you're already imagining. Yeah, yeah. I'm in it. Yeah. And so that's how I call it like lighting up their neural network because people say they don't remember cognitively. No, they don't have words for it, but they have the emotions and they're still there in the body. Yeah. Yes. And any any cognitive processing or cognitive interweave is not going to access that stored memory. Like it will require the mentalization and the somatic connection and that like relational connection that's unspoken. Like it will require that as an interweave. It doesn't even have to have words or language with it. It's the sounds that we make. It's the expressions we make. It's the way we hold our body as we connect in that with them that are going to be the powerful interweaves, not any like cognitive thing that we can share with them. Right. And you can write as many books as you want, but that is just the, um, like helping somebody who doesn't understand, but once you get to this next level, it'll come naturally to you. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like that step up to help people to understand what you don't get in basic, right? And then you take that and then you grow some more so that you can get to this next level. Yeah. Mm. When this is way off of the outline that we, we put together. <laughs> so I'm sorry about that. But, but it's way better. One of the, way better. the subjective interest that I have. So uh, neurodivergence has been a passion of mine neurobiologically, like just from the research of trying to understand kind of what's going on in the neurodivergent mind. And with your background in, in kind of TBI, I'm curious what it's like for you to invite this type of uh, next level EMDR with those that may have not just a difficulty uh, interpersonally, you know, kind of getting into that safe space, but perhaps even uh, neurocognitive structural deficiencies in their ability to actually engage with this type of imagery or this type of affective attunement. Like what has your experience been like for those that may have damaged uh, structures in the brain or, or different injuries that kind of affect their ability to engage in this way with, with this next level EMDR. It really challenges. Um, Cause I've worked with 
people on the spectrum, uh, fetal alcohol, um, TBIs, strokes. So all of this, right? And it's really forced me to do that next level. And then now that you're asking me, it's like, how did I get there? So now I have to go back and break it down and say, okay, um, it's exactly what I did for clients is uh, every time I do phase three and the image, I ask them, is it in color or black and white, clear or cloudy, close or far, moving or still, right? So for people with uh, neurodivergencies for whatever reason, if it's playing out of order, process it out of order. If it's yes. moving too fast, slow it down, take a snapshot. Let's just work on this picture. Right now it's two dimensional, it's less scary than if I'm in it and it's three dimensional, right? Um, if they have a hard time imagining, it's like, okay, then take your eyes out of it. So if you do eye movements, you engage the logic brain. So I will do tappers or auditory tones and engage the other processing centers. So we leave the cognitive part out of it. What are you noticing in your body when you feel that, when you are yeah. imagining being there, whatever it is, right? Yeah. For me, when I'm working with this population, um, I'm thinking of a few in particular, very formative cases for me personally that uh, had aphasia and a, kind of an inability to connect uh, with this type of imagery-based work. And my interweaves would just fall completely flat. Like no, I mean, not even an awareness of really what it would matter if I had my mom, if they were the nurturing figure there with me at the time. Like, I don't see what you're trying to like what so my interweaves yeah. would become more sensory and experiential so i would explore what textures of fabric feel good does that blanket feel good to you okay let's have that and that kind of becomes in a way the nurturing figure in its sensory simulation that we're trying to install or that we're trying to invite into the processing to kind of free us up to keep going i think similarly if we have an environment that we're able to introduce uh, I love you, you're, you were talking about your olfactory uh, interweaves, like any of these types of, whether it be through smell or taste or touch or uh, temperature, if we can have interweave objects in the room with us or, or things that are actually able to be experienced by the client, that can really meet people across the neurodivergent spectrum to say, this can still uh, help your body know what I'm trying to help you see in, in reprocessing this memory. Yes. When I had my office, it had uh, blankets that were texture, pillows of different texture. Um, and that's so I could play catch with them. If they dissociate, they could hug it and protect their core. They could get the sensory part. I had uh, essential oils. I had mints, lemon drops, whatever those things are to help with all of that. Yes. Right. And somebody might look at it and go, you've got a lot of crap in your office. It's like <laughs> everything has a purpose and there yeah. is a reason for everything that's in here. Yeah. I've got a lot of crap in my office. People have got a lot of crap going on. So I'm trying to like meet them. <laughs> <laughs> Will you um, say the documentary? Do you, I don't know if you know the title. I want to make sure that myself I want to know what it is because I want to go back and listen watch it but our listeners my Amazon account because I watched it in Amazon um, okay. so I will have to get that to you but it was phenomenal yeah. phenomenal if you, if you want to send it we'll include it in the show notes okay. um, but I think that sounds like a, a really exciting thing to explore more on 
as we think about how that actually shows up in our therapeutic work. Right, because we... Is it the superhuman, the invisible made visible? Yes, yes, that's it. Okay, yeah. So we can put that in the show notes that it's superhuman, the invisible made visible, the 2020 documentary. Yeah, so before microorganisms were invisible, right? Then we got um, magnifying glasses and uh, what are the things called like in science? The microscopes. Uh, Microscopes, thank you. And you could see these small things, right? Just like this, we are talking about something that might mind blow some people and go, Mm -hmm. this is really out there. It's ridiculous. But all these other things, yes. All these other things weren't there before until we had the technology to understand it. So the technology didn't create them. It simply made us able to see them and actually interact with them. Yes. So there's one, one other point with interweaves kind of bring us like back over there <laughs> that I want to explore. Um, <laughs> we talk, I, I talk a lot with consultees about um, the, the natural state of processing and that any type of interweave is going to shift whatever that natural flow of processing is, whether it shifts it into like a channel that can go further than where it was before, or it um, shifts the focus in some way, and that cognitive interweaves bring us into the cognitive processing. More somatic invites them into a different channel of processing, but that if the client's system is naturally processing and it's going in a good direction, when we bring in our interweaves, we can kind of like distract the process or sidestep in a way. So how do you teach in a way like how do we balance that of knowing an interweave can really enhance the process but unless it's a good fit or uh, an appropriate timing to bring it in if we're not careful about how we use them it can also distract from or slow down and I think the most often cases I see this is the therapist has this like urgency to uh, relieve their pain or to not let them sit in their emotion too long, or, um, they get anxious of like, oh, is this stuck? And I am not performing well. And so I need to be saying something or fixing this somehow. And they're actually interrupting the processing or distracting it rather than, you know, supporting them in their process. So how do you navigate that with those that you're teaching about interweaves? Um, first I tell them be comfortable with silence because if you're not comfortable with silence, you will ask too many questions and you will distract it. So if you have an issue with silence, then you need to practice that or do some EMDR with that because you give somebody some space, they're gonna fill it up. They're gonna tell you what's really going on. The other thing is we are multifaceted, right? So clients may be going down this route and they're hitting some of the facets on the side of, let's say a, a diamond or a gem that has all the facets, but they're missing this whole other half. So asking an interweave, you are then helping to put their perspective on the other parts so that it becomes a more complete healing process and not just a, a perspective shift per se, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. Yeah, I think there's, it can be so tricky to find that balance of 
you know, am I just uncomfortable with silence as a therapist? Am I uncomfortable with the client emoting in front of me? Am I fearful of not doing it right or well, but also, you know, like honoring their natural process and leading into interweaves in a helpful way when it's right. And I think that always, it just keeps coming back to that piece of as the therapist, we have to be aware of our own experience showing up in the space like how comfortable or uncomfortable are we with what's happening in front of us? And that that's not always a projection of what's going on with the client, but check in with ourselves and our experience of it first. Right. Before we immediately assign meaning to the client. If you're uncomfortable, but the client isn't overwhelmed, you may interrupt the process. Yeah. So in between the set, how are you doing? What are you noticing? Are you getting overwhelmed? No, it's, it's intense, but I'm able to manage it. You just keep going. Mm-hmm. If they say, no, I'm starting to feel overwhelmed. Then you interject with an interweave, parcel something out from the image to the emotions or go to the body or something. Right. Yeah. yeah and this is making me practice practice. Because yeah. the more you practice, the more comfortable you're going to get, the more you're going to understand the process and know which direction to go. Yeah, this is making me think of um, a case that I had. And Jen, I was also processing through like what my answer would be to that question, because I think case conceptualization is really where I go back to kind of over and over again of how to know, you know, what interweave makes sense, but also why is that person getting stuck? And that mm-hmm. led me to this thought of, a case that I had where we were processing through one of the core abuse memories that this person had. And they were in a room where it was happening and their worst part like that they were fixated on was the window was open and it was kind of like a shuttered window and the wind, the wind kept hitting the, the, the shutter to where it would like hit the other side of the shutter. And that was going through the whole time because of the storm that was happening on the outside. And it didn't really matter. We'd worked on this memory a couple different times. It didn't matter like what, you know, nurturing a protective figure, like it, 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 again, those seem to kind of just like fall flat, but what found the, the kind of release and what moved the processing along was imagining Gandalf's staff from Lord of the Rings. Um, she said with that, you know, if, if I had that, then I could make all of it stop. And like, I could make the sound stop. I could make the, the abuser go away. I can make the storm calm. Like it really was this resource in real time uh, that kind of met developmentally where she was at and completely, you know, she was incapable of creating safety in that memory as she was. And so to have that staff would have kind of loosened everything up and created now processing uh, forward what we could do. And that staff came back again and again and later processing uh, that we would do. It was like this resource that just stumbled, you know, stumbled out of the closet in a way. Yeah. Oh, those creative, uh, those creative resources. I just find the ones that just emerge in the space. It's not this script we go to or that we're prompting them. Just what naturally emerges from their system are the most powerful and beautiful interweaves. And I was like, as you're talking, I'm like, okay, if I was that kid, she's stuck on the sound because that's, it's kind of like she left her body with whatever's happening. Right. And is hyper-focused on the clang, clang, clang. Mm. Yes. Yes. So if you stop the shutters, then she would be forced to focus on it. And that might have been too much. Mm. Right. So here it's like, if I ask her, well, can you just like put a lock on the shutters? Nope. 
Right. Yeah. And the whole thing with this memory was that there was nowhere that she could go in the house to find safety. She was alone with her abuser. There was a storm outside. So she couldn't like burst through the window and like run away. She was like, I was terrified of storms. And so it was like this, I mean, truly like a, a very uh, concentrated terror uh, for her to be in this memory. It represented so much of what her, her, like, herself at that point of development was terrified of. And so there was no like way we could manipulate the space to make it feel any better for her. But it was Gandalf staff that came and had magical powers to both like stop evil in the world, you know, like to calm storms, to teleport. Like there were, there was so many resources held within this, this staff. So yeah, I, I completely agree. Teleportation. I used the way back, right? Jumping your way back and travel back in time to your childhood, whatever age we're working on, what does that kid need? Take the knowledge you have now, bring it back to him or her, take a cell phone back, right? And so that is awesome that you brought that up because that's another imaginal interweave. Getting your way back, get in your time machine, go back in time. How would you want this to come out? What did you need? Yeah, create, right? Yeah, yeah. Gandalf, she really resonated with because it's through, in the story of Lord of the Rings, through his death, he's able to come back as Gandalf the White. And she resonated with that even in her herself dying as she experienced it then, but coming back as the full version of herself and integrating the traumatic experience. And, and at the end of our therapy, she was Gandalf the White. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So beautiful. So Let's kind of shift into Dr. Morse, you talking a little more specifically about your book and training that you have coming out that talks all about these interviews. Okay. Whatever what? you want to share, <laughs> tell, tell us about it. Tell, tell our listeners about it. Just um, let's start with the book because I that's kind of yeah. how we had originally connected with you right. about that. I believe it's A to Z interviews. Um, yeah, an A to Z guide for interweaves. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I think so, an easy way into this conversation is like, why the book? And what do you hope people can take from this, this work? Okay. So the book is because of that gap in learning um, from basic training and people being scared and not knowing what to do and what to ask. So I wanted to demystify interweaves for people. I wanted to fill in the blanks. Um Francine was very strict with not just the protocol, but when to use an interweave, right? That's because she was a researcher. If you develop a brand new therapy, you need everybody to do the exact same way so you can produce the same results over and over and over, right? So that it's valid and efficacious and get insurance behind it and all of that. Totally understand that, right? Um, So it's kind of like reading it and understanding that that's the foundation for the house. And then as you put up the walls, you can make a two-story home, you can make a geodesic dome home, whatever Mm. from there. So if you're not going into research, get the basics, get the foundation, and then be creative and intuitive with the interweaves. So I wanted to fill in the gaps because the training is so rigid with some people that when they come to me for certification or approved consultant status or advanced trainings, they're like, well, I wasn't taught this. Are you sure that's okay? 
can we do this? And so I wanted people to not have to, um, I guess, get consultation all the time to try and figure things out, yeah. right? And everything in the book is from over a thousand different clients I've worked with. So it's a conglomeration of how many who went through adoptions or affairs. So actually A to Z, if you're sitting down with somebody and I just opened the book to interweaves for military sexual trauma and the things that you, that might come up for men and women, the sexual harassment, the actual rapes, all of that stuff, then you can just look at it and figure out something to ask. So other people tell me, I can't think that fast. I don't think on the fly, what can I do? And it was meant as a resource for them because it's not a novel you're gonna sit down and read beginning to end, right? Yeah. Something that you can read and then look at and go, oh, I didn't think about this before. Here's another way to use this. Here's a way to help with that. Keep it beside you in your office be able to refer to it when you need, and then develop your own and trust yourself from there. I, I feel like, you know, having that resource of a, like lists of options is so helpful, but even more than that, I feel like for so many people, when they read it, it'll give their brain this freedom to creatively then say, oh, if, if these are some ideas, now I have this like permission and freedom to utilize that as well as the person in front of me and what seems to connect and fit for them and modify them and expand upon them um, can really help just give us that support to come up with really personalized, individualized interviews. Yes. Uh, and so actually after the book came out, I had a, a trainer in Australia kind of hit me up and say, we could really use a training on this in Australia. So we got it approved. We got it set up Australia time, right? Cause they're like 16 hours ahead. And I'm like, I can't like rub two brain cells together at 10 o'clock. <laughs> so we're doing it on two different days from like four to eight us time. And that's eight to 12 their time. And then that got me thinking if I could get it approved through Andrea here, then I can offer it simultaneously in the US and Canada and more people can take advantage of it because uh, the people I've worked with in Canada are like, that's not what I was taught. I didn't understand, I didn't realize I could do that. So there still is lack of information out there and the importance of getting totally. information out there is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love your approach to really honoring the foundation of how EMDR got started in in it that more rigid, strict way and its utility then, and we can still acknowledge honor and give credit to that while saying, just as you said before, if we stop letting it grow, it will die. But we have to keep up with where the latest research is and the science and the culture around it and where that's headed and allow it to grow and flourish. And it's because we have that beginning foundation that we're able to, to stretch and expand it and how we're utilizing it now. Exactly. And I think there was probably three or four of the OGs, you know, uh, Dr. Tinker, Dr. Nipe, uh, Dr. Popke and um, Roy Kiesling. They were the ones, Roy trained me and the other ones I took trainings with, I had uh, collaborated with them and they said, it adapts and grows. How do you think we got the substance abuse? How do you think I 
turn this around to use on kids? How do you think I came up with the dissociative part of this? How do you think I developed the core beliefs out of this, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So with saying like, oh, they gave me permission to be creative and intuitive. And then it's like, great, now we can continue to move this forward. Once it gains momentum, what Newton's law, once something's in motion, it stays in motion, <laughs> yes. right? Getting it going is the hard part. And I think mm-hmm. that was probably the first 20 years of EMDR was gaining the momentum and getting it going. And now it's rolling at a good pace and we just need to keep up with it. Yes, absolutely. So your training just kind of breaks down the book and goes through the interweaves more in a like experiential way, or how do you, how are you approaching the training with it? Um, All the different ways you, you can do an interweave when you can ask something, how to break, I mean, just like everything we're talking about is okay. going to be um, into it. And then what types of things that's, what do you have in your office? What can you use? Um, what is your background? What is your cultural background? Um, I have some culturally from different countries where they've used um, things of fear to make sure that they stay good people right? Which then stifles the client. So if you Mm -hmm. understand the different cultures, how can you use those cultural things as interweaves? So it's like, just quick, quickly thinking of that. If your parents didn't know any better, or they didn't have the time because they were worried about surviving and fear was the only way they could keep you in line. Can you forgive them? (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. Were they doing this intentionally to be horrible parents? Those would be interweaves you could come up with right off the bat. And then the client could look at it and go, well, maybe, yes, they were horrible parents, right? And it's like, okay, then let's move on. But if they say, no, they really were good people, but they had a sixth grade education or they didn't know any better, they can let go of all that resentment and hatred and anger over the fear and how they were raised, which would then improve their anxiety and they're able to move about in life and all of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to share with our listeners how generous you've been with your book and consultation. Um, Dr. Mercy has offered some giveaways for us to um, hand out to you guys. So we've got eight books, I believe, as free giveaways. And I'll even uh, sign them. So if you tell me your name, I will personalize it. And I will um, make it a signed copy for everyone. So awesome. And then consultation, which is like really exciting. Um, Small group consultation. So four consultees for a one hour group. And she's going to run three of those groups specifically for our notice that listeners. So Bridger, do you want to talk a little bit about how we'll do that? Yeah, we're experimenting with different ways to do giveaways, um, but this time we're going to try it with uh, by leaving a rating and a review on uh, the podcast. So on whatever podcast player you're listening to this on, uh, you can uh, leave a rating. You know, if you on, on iTunes, you can see the stars. If you'll click whatever star you think is relevant uh, for uh, the podcast and then leave a review and then screenshot that review after you leave it and then email it uh, to us. Um, I think we can just use the uh, contact email, Jen. Um, 
Sounds good. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Um, but you can email that, um, and we'll leave some of these, um, we can leave some of these, uh, instructions in the, the show notes as well, but you'll, uh, email that. And then once we get the list of people that have emailed us, um, we can then put them into a random drawing and you'll either get a, uh, a book or get included into one of the groups, uh, for, um, a consultation hour with Dr. Morrissey. Um, so Jen, do you have that email? Did you find I that? was just trying to look for it and I'm not having success. <laughs> There's um, so many emails, but it'll be in the show notes as is. well. So we can, I will just give mine. I think that would be okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I may regret this, but I think it should be okay. So if you could just email it to me and then I will handle putting that together for the giveaway, but that's jen.savage at beyondhealingcenter.com. So if you can email it directly to me, um, that screenshot, then I'll do a collection of those and we'll get in touch with you and coordinate a connection between you and Dr. Morsi so that you guys can either get the book mailed to you or schedule a consultation. So thank you so much for your generosity in those giveaways. I am just so excited for our listeners to have the opportunity to get more connection with you. And um, those consultation could be on interweaves. It could be on TBI. It could be on any other areas um, that you guys want to talk to her about. So yeah. Do you have any other um, things that you want to share with our listeners that you have going on now or ways that they can find you or find your content and material? Where do they buy the book? Where do they register for the training? Okay. Uh, register for the training. So interweave training is going to be in the States, um, August 26th and 7th from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. And in Australia, that is August 27th and 28th from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. Um, you can register at themorrisseyinstitute.com. Go to events and under events, there's a registration. Um, you can find the book on Amazon. Looking it up by the... Crap, I didn't... ABR therapy <laughs> and A to Z Just, guide for interviews. Yeah, There you go. By the title, um, probably search by the name, something like that. Um, contact information, the Morrissey Institute at gmail.com. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today, uh, um, sharing all of this great wisdom and information with us. And we'll stay, we'll stay in touch. We've had you on before. This has been another great interview. So we'll stay in touch and who knows, maybe we'll get you on here again at some point. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be wonderful. And for anybody who's interested, I do have a TBI training coming up the end of July. Um, so if you listened last year and you want to learn more, you know, you can sign up for the training. Okay. okay. Thank very, you very busy. so much. Yeah. yeah thank you thank as you. well. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you help your clients in the process of EMDR therapy. If you are curious to learn more about something that you've heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming EMDR and case conceptualization trainings. 
You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Notice That Podcast. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, a media creation group committed to creativity, community, and embracing the beauty of being human. If you like this podcast, you might also like the other podcasts of Beyond Healing Media. Beyond Trauma is an educational podcast on the journey of trauma therapy and what it means to be humans who have been hurt but are learning to recover and grow, living the life we all want of safety and connection. The Burnout Educator is an interview-style podcast that invites stories from people across the spectrum of the educational system and seeks to see the human inside the role they play. It is our desire that you see parts of your story and those around you in the stories you hear. The Evidence-Based Therapist is an educational podcast where we read so you don't have to. On this podcast, we discuss seminal, recent, and relevant research on psychotherapeutics and the embodied relational sciences. How do we know what is evidence-based and how do we use it in our practice? You'll find out on the EBT podcast.